Luke 15, and we're going to read from the first verse until verse 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lord, we ask humbly, that you would come and speak to us now. We ask that your glory would increase in this place, that our awareness of your spirit, your guiding, the nudges that we get from you would increase likewise. Lord, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to be transformed. And we pray that you would do that by the work of your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Her Majesty the Queen, uh, on Christmas Day a few years ago, said these words. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a savior, with the power to forgive. It is my prayer that on this Christmas day, we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. The Queen of England of the Commonwealth, the Queen of England says, sometimes we need saving from ourselves. And so what did God do? He sent a savior, not a philosopher or a general. He sent a savior, the queen, to all those watching on that day and since. Reminded us that we need saving. And God sent us a rescuer. Our reading today comes from Luke 15, which could really be entitled The Lost Chapter. It begins with what we've heard, the parable of the lost sheep, goes on to talk about the lost coin, and then one of those most famous parables of all finishes with the lost son. We're not going to consider that one today, but we'll do before too long, I'm sure. It begins with the well-to-do muttering. I'm sure you've been in places where the well-to-do mutter. Because Jesus is not doing what they think is the appropriate thing to do. He's associating with tax collectors, cheats, swindles, and sinners. People whose sin, whose brokenness was on public display to others. 
not like the world to do where it's hidden away and covered over and societally acceptable. So Jesus, in response to their muttering, says this. If you had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost and went away, wouldn't you leave the 99 in the open country? Set off to find the one, search it out, find it out, and then when you found it, put it on your shoulders and return home joyfully. A lady had 10 silver coins, each worth about a day's wage. She had 10 days worth of earnings and then lost a tenth of it, lost one of the coins. So of course she lights a lamp, she lights the house up, she tidies everything away, she sweeps up, she searches behind every sofa and in every corner, she retraces her steps and does everything that she possibly can until that joyful moment where she finds the lost coin and then calls up those around her to rejoice with her. In response to that first story, the parable of the lost sheep, if I'm honest, I think most people's response to Jesus would have been no. If I had 100 sheep and one went missing, I would probably stick with the 99 rather than going after the one. Because what's going to happen to the 99 if I go off and then some of them go missing? Or a wolf comes along? Or someone comes to steal them? I think the response on the day, realistically, would have been no, Jesus. If one goes missing, well, I've still got 99, and it's a better use of my time to look after them and tend to them. But of course, Jesus shows us that that is not the way that he would approach it. And that's not the way that we, as his followers, should approach it. Let's remember Jesus himself is God. God on earth. Some have said that Jesus is perfect theology. So that everything we see Jesus doing is an invitation for us to see what the right thing to do is. There's nothing ungodly in Jesus. And so if he says that the right response is to leave the 99, go after the one, then that is the right response for him and for us as his followers. If another gets lost, he'll go after that one too. If two get lost, he'll go after those too. He places equal value on those that are astray on those that have found themselves in ruin. However many that means leaving behind, he's worth, he says it's worth doing because of his love for them. Later in John chapter 10, some verses that will appear on the screens, Jesus says this with the same imagery. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the one that wandered away, to leave the 99 in the open country, not with anybody else, not with a pen around them or whatever would have been available at that time. Jesus, the good shepherd, risks himself for their sake, puts himself in danger that the one might be brought in. What on earth does all of this have to do with us, though? Well, very simply, if it wasn't obvious obvious already, we are the sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. We were made to be in the flock, if you want to put it like that. We were made to be part of the fold, part of the hundred. 
Our life was supposed to be in good relationship with the shepherd, hearing his voice, listening to his commands, going where he led us for food and for water and for everything else that he put across our path. But each of us has wandered away like the one that left the hundred. Each of us has chosen in one way or other to be under our own care rather than the care of the good shepherd. We've lived a different way. And in one way or other, we've got ourselves trapped. We've wandered off. We've got ourselves isolated, away from the pack, away from the shepherd in wrongdoing and wrong saying and wrong believing. It's important to remember that that's what happened. It wasn't that the one got kicked out of the flock. It wasn't that the shepherd got fed up of them for barring too loud or keeping him up at night or requiring too much food or whatever else it was. They weren't kicked out. They chose to wander away. And the same ultimately is true of us, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, you're not worth my presence anymore. We said, we'd rather live this way than that way. I know that I sinned, knowing what the right thing to do was, knowing what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what I should do to follow him. I knew what was right and I did what was wrong for a time. And I'm sure each of us can think of those things that we knew what the right thing to do was, but for one reason or other chose a different way. We knew what it would be to live the way Jesus calls us to, but decided for whatever reason, I want to lead my own life. I want to be my own shepherd. The reality is that we are just sheep, and sheep can't be their own shepherd. Each of us have sinned. Each of us have wandered off and need the voice of the shepherd to call us home. So seeing that this one sheep was astray, what did Jesus, the good shepherd, do? Leave them on their own? You've got your, what you wanted. You've wandered off. I'm going to leave you to it and see what comes to you. It was your fault, right? You wandered off. I'm going to shut the pen. Look after the 99. Of course he didn't. As the story says, Jesus leaves the 99, goes off to the open country, finds the one that is lost, seeks them out. We don't know how long it took, but he would have been willing to take as long as was needed. He searches out the sheep, gets close to them and calls them back to him. And when they get there, puts them on his shoulders, carries them back to the fold. In our case, then, Jesus left the glory of heaven, came down to be amongst us on earth, getting near to humanity again, gets close to us through the Holy Spirit, through his teaching, through his word, and by the voice of his Holy Spirit calls us, do you want to come home? Do you want to be back in the fold? In the story, the good shepherd reaches the sheep and picks it up, puts it on his shoulders to bring it home. In our case, Jesus reaches us humans and puts a cross on his shoulders, offering us in time for our return to be made real. The sheep didn't do anything to deserve being found. They didn't write a letter back pleading their innocence. They didn't say, oh, I was just chasing after a nice bit of grass. It wasn't really my fault, right? The sheep didn't do anything to deserve their rescue, and really, we don't do anything to deserve our own rescue either. We've got ourselves into a mess that we can't fix. 
But it's not through our own ingenuity. It's not through our pleading. It's not through our persistence that Jesus says, okay, I'll take you back. It's because of his great love. He says, I want that sheep back in the fold. He says, I want that person back with me. I'm going to go after them because of my love. I'm going to go after them because of my grace. We don't deserve anything from God. And yet he gives us everything. The choice for each of us today and every day is do we accept that gracious offer? Do we want to be rescued? Do we want to be found? Do we want Jesus to pull us back into the fold? To free us from whatever mess we've got ourselves stuck in? Do we accept or reject the heart of God towards us? Using the same imagery, Isaiah 53 verse 6 puts it like these words on the screen. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the wrongdoing of us all. Each of us has gone astray. We knew what the right thing to do was, the narrow path, and yet we wandered any other way than that. We turned to our own way rather than the way of Jesus. And yet in response, the Lord didn't lay on us our iniquity. He laid it on Jesus and said, he can take it for you. Come home, be part of the fold again. If we accept that offer, then we're a Christian. We follow Jesus. We say sorry to him for where we've gone astray. And we say, bring me back into the fold. I can't rescue myself, but you can. Please do it for me. In my time as a church leader in other places and here, I have all sorts of conversations with people where they kind of tell me in a direct or indirect way what they think a Christian is. I've heard all sorts of things that might answer the question. One that crops up is, aren't Christians English and the people that keep the law of England? Well, not necessarily, has to be the answer to that. There are lots of people who are English There are lots of people who keep the law of England who wouldn't say that they've accepted Jesus' offer of rescue. Equally, there are Christians from all around the world. What's important isn't where you come from or what law you keep. What's important is whether you've been rescued by Jesus or not. The Queen, I would say, is probably the most English person going, right? The most law-abiding English person going, and she knew that she needed a saviour. So what does that say for the rest of us? Others in turn say, well, aren't Christians those whose good works outweigh their bad works? It's just about putting enough good stuff in the bank that you end up in credit rather than in debt. Do good things and don't do so many bad things and at least make sure that the good's bigger than the bad and surely God's got to accept you and take you to heaven when you die. Well, again, no. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that we can do to undo our own sin we're all left in debt towards God and it's a debt which we have not got the ability to pay Jesus is the only one who can clean us up the only one who can rescue us the only one that can put our debt into credit our good works do not do that for us our good works will not see us saved we're saved only because of God's incredible grace And of course, I hope that goes on to a life of good works in response to him. 
but it will never be enough for us to be saved. Finally, some say, well, aren't Christians the people that go to church, that have been confirmed or went to a Christian school? Well, again, not necessarily. All sorts of people are in church all their life, go to a Christian school, are surrounded by Christian kinds of things, but never let that message penetrate their hearts or change the way that they live. They never admit before God, I'm the sheep that's gone astray and I can't save myself, but you can, please come and do it for me. All sorts of people have been in these environments all their life, but yet haven't said yes to Jesus' offer of rescue and salvation. Some people do those things out of duty or pressure or conformity to the norm without really believing what was going on. And there'll be some people in this church community that won't be saved. There are definitely lots of people in this wider community that aren't saved. They are the sheep that are still astray. If we were going to do the numbers today, it would be much more like the one that's in the fold and the 99 that have wandered off. And yet still sometimes the church is more concerned about the one that's in the fold and not the 99 that have wandered astray, have got themselves into ruin, are trapped in their own messes. If there's one thing that keeps me up at night, it's knowing that people around here, people in here, haven't yet received and responded to the message and the offer of Jesus. That's the thing that keeps me going. That's the thing that got me here to start a church. And my hope is that every time anyone comes into this space, every time someone encounters one of our people, you guys sat right here, they get to hear again a form of this message. They get another invitation to have their life transformed as Jesus comes and rescues them, the only one that can really do it. Other things will promise much, other lifestyle choices, other ways of living, will promise much and deliver little. Jesus promises life eternal with him and he delivers on it every time we come to him with faith, with humility. And finally to say, this is one of the reasons that we run Alpha. Alpha is an opportunity for people to explore the big questions of life. It runs uh, starting a week on Thursday, in person and online, depending on people's preference. Alpha is a series of evenings that explore who is Jesus, what's prayer about, what about evil and suffering, how do we make sense of that? You start by getting to know a group of people who are going on a similar journey to yourself. You have some video input to answer one of those questions or give you some tools that might answer them at least. And then the bulk of the evening is spent in discussion with other people. What do you make of that? How does that land with you? What does your experience make of something like that? The ball is completely in your core. It's relaxed and informal. You're not forced to believe anything by the end of it. But it's a space to explore the big things that pop up, maybe at a time of national grief like this, more than ever. You might want to come along to something like that yourself thinking, hang on a minute, I thought I was a Christian, but maybe it's built on some foundations which aren't quite true. Maybe for you it's about exploring this for the very first time. Maybe there are people around you, friends or family members, who you know 
haven't said yes to this. Maybe they don't even know about this. And your life, your invitation could be the way that they come to see it. I don't think there's a more important thing that you could do with your life than give someone else the invitation to explore Jesus and a relationship with him and what life with him could really be like. In response to the Queen's death, I saw someone say that the thing that they were going to miss the most was her Christmas sermons. And of course, most people would call it the Christmas speech, three o'clock on a Christmas afternoon, but I think he was right. In the last few years, if not for many years before that, there've been more sermons than speeches, haven't they? Because every year, yes, as well as talking about great political events and the ups and downs of the year, there's been a window into the rock beneath her life, the faith that she put in Jesus, and an opportunity for other people to explore it for themselves. The Queen made sure that in that opportunity, those 10 or 15 minutes per year, she said, here's what matters most to me, and gave people an opportunity to explore it for themselves. There is no greater message you could pass on to anybody else than to say that we are sheep gone astray. But there is a good shepherd who comes to find us anyway, who comes to show us his great love, to bring us back to the fold, and to start off this great heavenly party because someone that was lost is now found. Someone that was in ruin has now been rescued. Someone living in darkness has now seen the light.